0: We're looking specifically in these weeks at two specific uh, Messianic prophecies. And uh, the first is, and here's your blanks, and uh, there's a, a URL in the chat, and there's a URL on the, on the website. And by the way, if you haven't uh, done it yet, if you go on the website, uh, you can click on uh, handouts, uh, how to get handouts, put your email in there, and they'll come to you around noon uh, every Thursday um, to have you prepared so you can print them out. As you can see, uh, we're content heavy. Uh, and so there's uh, always a, a lot, uh, and the materials help understand the teaching a lot. So here's the, here's the first, the Passover lamb prophecy, and here's your blank. If the lambs were dead and Jesus was still alive, he's not the lamb. And then the sign of Jonah, the second messianic prophecy, he had to be in the grave three days and three nights. Now, notice perhaps most uh, of Christian history, people have thought, well, there's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's basically three days. We're fine. Um, Two nights, hey, you know, two and a half. Call it two and a half and round up the three and we're fine. Uh, But there's a real problem with that because the fudging doesn't work because it's very explicit in the scripture. The Gospels clearly show that when the women show up on Sunday morning um, to embalm Jesus' body, which is what they thought they were going to do, um, the stone is already rolled away, the resurrection, Jesus already raised from the dead, and it is still dark. So the reality is Sunday day light doesn't count. So in fact, there are two days and two nights that Jesus was in the grave uh, if he was if he was crucified on Friday. And when you do the math, it's no more than 42 hours. So uh, Friday afternoon crucifixion, uh, Jesus hasn't even been in the grave for 48 hours, let alone three days. So Good Friday misses both the Passover prophecies and the sign of Jonah, um, and, and that leads to an obvious question. Then here's your blank. Where did tradition go wrong? And here, here, uh, here's your blanks to fill in. By failing to understand the difference between a weekly Sabbath and a high Sabbath. So you've got in your materials tonight, Uh, You've got this grid, and uh, the details are are there, Uh, but um, very, very important to notice that in this week, the weekly Sabbath, of course, occurred from Friday evening through Saturday evening. The weekly Sabbath always does, right? Sundown to sundown. Um, But in this week, the Passover uh, feast occurred on Thursday night. The beginning, Nisan 15, the beginning of the high Sabbath occurred on Friday, So you have Friday as the high Sabbath, and Saturday as the weekly Sabbath, and of course um, not having a Hebraic thinker at the early church councils, the Gentiles all just assumed that that, uh, the Sabbath was Friday, and not even thinking about the the high Sabbath itself. So last time I began to unpack what went wrong with the Good Friday tradition, and then um, I left us with a quandary, a pretty significant quandary, right? And it's summarized by three biblical historical facts. Here they are. Write them in. (coughs) Fact number one, to be Messiah, Jesus had to be crucified on Thursday afternoon. Fact number two, at the Last Supper, Jesus said he was eating the Passover with the disciples. We'll see that tonight. And fact number three, By all accounts, the Passover feast during the Passion Week was on Thursday night. Okay, and that means that the Passover lambs were sacrificed on Thursday afternoon. So here's the quandary. If Jesus wasn't slain when all the Paschal lambs were slain, then he didn't fulfill the Passover prophecies, and he's not the Messiah. As we've seen, he also doesn't meet the sign of Jonah. Which is another disqualification. So, this evening, I want us to begin with the two facts that everyone agrees with. The first fact is that uh, a repeat from last week, but it's the anchor for understanding the timing of the Passion Week. Here's fact number one there's your blanks. Everyone agrees that the Passover feast, also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, when you hear the feast, either the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Passover feast, those are the same thing. So everyone agrees that the Passover feast was on Thursday night during Passion Week. Fact number two, everyone agrees that Jesus was not crucified on a Sabbath. So let's verify this one more time. Turn with me to John, near the end of John, John chapter 19, John chapter 19, Verse 31, and let's look at that together. Again, you'll, uh, on Thursology, you're going to always want to have your Bible or your e-Bible ready uh, and in your hands. Verse 31, the Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So look what John 19.31 teaches. Point number one, here's your blanks. Breaking the bones and scurrying the bodies into the grave forever made the point that Jesus was not crucified on a Sabbath, but that a Sabbath was just about to begin. Right? That's the whole point of the hurrying the bodies in to the grave before sundown. And point number two from John 1931 the Sabbath that caused the broken bones scenario was a high Sabbath explicitly specified there in John 1931 so now that we've established these facts I want us to take a big step back for the sake of argument let's assume that Jesus shared the Last Supper with the disciples on Thursday night as church tradition teaches and with that assumption Let's fit this timing into the Passion Week, okay? When did the High Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread occur? Look once again. Look at your grid. When did the High Sabbath occur? Sundown on Thursday, the beginning of Nisan 15, which it became when the sun went down. Nisan 15, this was the High Sabbath, okay? Um, so if we um, assume that church tradition is correct, then Jesus was eating the Last Supper during the Passover feast on Thursday, right? Now, by the way, this is why we have in the church the Monday Thursday tradition. You may have heard of it. When the church calendar celebrates the Last Supper, it assumes that it's simultaneous with the Passover feast on Thursday night. So now let's think this scenario through. In, okay, let's, let's work on the detail here. And I want you to look at the figure that is there in your notes, okay? So notice here, what I've written in is the traditional timing. That's what's in your grid here, right? And notice midnight and then 6 a.m. So 6a to 6p is the daytime part of the day. And then at 6 p.m., the sun goes down and a new date starts, but you're still on Thursday. So Thursday, Friday. And um, what, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to um, uh, g- go into that grid, and I'll show it up here. And let's work this through. Right, notice. So it's uh, Thursday, the day of preparation. This is with a traditional Good Friday teaching, right? And on what we have is on Thursday afternoon, the lambs are sacrificed. And roasted. Okay? And then the High Sabbath begins. Thursday evening, High Sabbath begins. Okay? And this is, then, then, then you have the lambs have been roasted and now you have the Passover feast. So here's where you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover feast. And tradition says this is also the Last Supper, right? Monday, Thursday. Thursday night, everybody's having Passover, including Jesus, Last Supper, and um, the Passover feast occur together. And then on Friday, again, church tradition, on Friday, Jesus is crucified in the afternoon, and he's placed in the tomb. And notice here at sundown the high sabbath ends. And then when the sun goes down on Friday evening the weekly sabbath weekly sabbath begins of course because it does every single Friday night at sundown. Okay? So how, uh, look at this carefully now. Look, at, look in your notes what you've filled in. Uh, I, I want you, to, I want you to, to, to look at this while I talk it through now. When did the high Sabbath begin? Thursday at sundown. And when did the high Sabbath end? Friday at sundown. And when did Jesus die according to tradition? Friday afternoon, right? Good Friday. So look, here are the timing errors of church tradition. Error number one, here's your blank. By the traditional timing, Jesus was crucified on a Sabbath. You see that? Look at it. If he had the Passover feast the night before, it's Passover from sundown Thursday until sundown on Friday, and if he's crucified on Friday afternoon, he's being crucified on the high Sabbath of Passover. But that can't be true. And why? Because of error number two. Here's your blank. (coughs) If Jesus was crucified on a Sabbath, then hurrying their bodies into the grave would have been pointless because the Sabbath would already have been desecrated. Let that sink in. If he had the Passover feast on Thursday night and was crucified on Friday afternoon, he was being crucified on the high Sabbath of Passover, and he had already, they had already desecrated the Sabbath when he was crucified on Friday afternoon. So let's do the correcting of church tradition. Correction number one. Here you are. Here's your blank. The only afternoon that week where a crucifixion could happen before a Sabbath without being on a Sabbath was Thursday afternoon. Got that? Friday afternoon, it was before a Sabbath. It was before the weekly Sabbath, but it was already on a Sabbath. <coughs> so, Thursday afternoon is it. Correction, correction number two. If Jesus was crucified on Thursday afternoon, then the Last Supper occurred on Wednesday evening. Yes, church tradition, just like it should be Good Thursday rather than Good Friday, it should be Monday, Wednesday Rather than Monday, Thursday. Last Supper, Wednesday night, Passover, Thursday night, all the lambs and Jesus having been slain on Thursday afternoon. Now, even though this is absolutely clear from Scripture, since tradition dies so hard, I want us to look at this another way. So let's set up the Last Supper. Turn with me, you're in John, so turn to the left one book to, to uh, the 22nd chapter of Luke, Luke 22. Uh, And and we uh, bump here into a significant scriptural problem, right? Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 7. Luke 22, 7. A new paragraph there. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Noticing, notice, eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large uh, furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. (laughs) And then, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table with the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So, this passage presents us with a huge predicament, right? Here it is, write it in. In Luke 22, Jesus said three times, that he is going to, he's going to eat the Passover with the disciples, but if Jesus, here's your blank, if Jesus ate the Passover feast with them, then he didn't die when the law required the Passover lambs to be sacrificed, and he's not the lamb. But now let's look carefully again at verse 7, and we're going to keep coming back to verse 7. Look at this. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay, now, let's look really carefully. Here's some key points. Number one, Luke did not say, here's your blank, then came the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Number two, Luke did say, then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay, and then number three, In Luke 22, 7, it hasn't come to the day when the Passover lambs are eaten. It comes to the day when the lambs are sacrificed. So because it's so hard for Gentiles to think like Hebrews, I'm going to run at this from about 12 different directions, okay? And the first key is here, understanding the Jewish day. Here are two keys to thinking about the day Hebraically, okay? Number one, here's your blank. The Jewish day begins at night. Think of that. The Jewish day begins at night. And thus, the Jewish day begins, you ready for this? Begins the night before the day. Got that? (laughs) The Jewish day begins the night before the daylight. And number two, the pattern of meals in the Jewish day is not breakfast, lunch, and supper. But, ready? Here's the blank. It's supper the night before, then breakfast, then lunch. Supper last night, breakfast, lunch. That's the pattern of the Jewish meals. This is how all practicing Jews begin their day. The sun goes down. The new day begins. Day, right? Even though it's nighttime. They eat supper. And now read verse 7 again with me. Look at this. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So when did the first day of unleavened bread begin? Now, unless you've studied the Old Testament in real depth and have learned to think Hebraically, you'll completely miss an important fact. It's the difference between the first day of unleavened bread and the day of the feast of unleavened bread. Okay? This is important. Watch this with me. It's your, uh, fill in your blanks there. Ready to go. Okay, so notice it comes in this week into Wednesday. And on Wednesday at sundown, the preparation day begins. What's the preparation for what? It's the preparation day preparing for the Passover feast the next night. Okay. The preparation day begins. Okay, and this is the first day of unleavened bread. This is a key. This week, they would have started eating. No wonder it was confusing to the Gentile Christian leadership at the councils, right? The preparation day begins at sundown Wednesday evening. And it's the first day that the Jews start eating unleavened bread. But this is not the feast of unleavened bread. That's the next night. It takes 24 hours to prepare for the feast of unleavened bread. So notice what happens. The preparation day begins the night before, okay? The day of eating, first day of eating unleavened bread starts. The next afternoon, the lambs are sacrificed. The lambs are sacrificed. In the afternoon, preparing for that evening, the sun goes down, and the feast, the feast of unleavened bread occurs the next night. So the first day of unleavened bread is 24 hours before the feast of unleavened bread. Okay? So, read verse 7 one more time with me. Right? Verse 7. Then came the first day of Unleavened Bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Notice this. Number one, here's your blanks. When did the first day of Unleavened Bread begin? The night before the night of the Passover feast. Number two, on the day, quotes, right, because we don't think of nighttime as the day, but on the day that Passover lambs had to be sacrificed, that is, Nisan 14, right? The preparation day, on the day that the Passover lambs had to be sacrificed, when was supper? It was the evening, here's your blank, it was the evening before. Because remember, the meal pattern for the day, for Hebrews, is sun goes down, you have supper. You sleep, then you have breakfast and lunch. Supper breakfast, lunch. Number three, when was the last supper? It was on the first day of unleavened bread, which began at sundown on Nissan 14, which was Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Let me show this now back here. Okay, you're going to be very familiar with this by the end of our five weeks, really familiar with it. And notice with me now, in this week, Nisan 10, Palm Sunday, four days of observation, you come to the day of preparation when the sun goes down on Wednesday night. And what happens? On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples get together and have the last supper. It is, they had unleavened bread at the last supper, but not because it was the feast of unleavened bread, but because it was preparing for the feast of unleavened bread. Then, what you have is the next day, Jesus and all the lambs, Jesus having had the last supper the night before, are slain, Jesus crucified. And then, of course, the whole scurrying them into the, sab- into the grave is perfectly relevant because it's now Thursday afternoon. It's not a Sabbath, but the Sabbath is going to begin when the sun goes down. And then, all Israel will have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Passover Feast. Okay, so the Hebraic understanding reveals the timing that has evaded the church for two millennia. Think of this. But here, I want to point out, we're still left with a dilemma. Since it's clear that the Last Supper and the traditional Jewish Passover couldn't have happened on the same night, right? The Last Supper was on Wednesday night. The classic Feast of Unleavened Bread the next night after the day of preparation. So why did Jesus so emphatically and repeatedly state that he was going to eat the Passover with, him, with them, his disciples? Why did he call the Last Supper Passover if it didn't happen at the time of the real Passover? <laughs> this is going to make some of you mad, but... for you to get the final answer, you're going to have to watch next week. Okay? Because we still have to really put the nail in the coffin for the Thursday versus the... the, We have to put the nail in the coffin for the Friday crucifixion. And and the reason I'm, I'm kind of punishing you by making you come back to find out about the Last Supper and the Passover meal is because first I want to go through four scriptural passages that really nail down that Friday afternoon could not have been when Jesus was crucified. So you're in Luke chapter 22, right? Let's look at the first, the the Luke account first. Look with me at verse 14 in Luke chapter 22. Verse 14, a new paragraph there. And when the hour had come, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So now we're at the last supper, right? And now let's look what transpires. Look with me at verse 33. Verse 33. And he Jesus, excuse me, he Peter said to him, "Lord, <laughs> you know I'm ready to go both to prison and to death." And Jesus said to him, "I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied 3 times." that you know me. So here's number 1, remember the last we started with the last supper and now we have the prophecy of the denial. Jesus prophesying that Peter's going to deny him. There's your blank. Now look at verse 39. And he came out and proceeded as it was his custom to the mount of olives he being Jesus and the disciples also followed him. And when they, he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from, about a stone's th- to, from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. Number two, this is Gethsemane. There's your blank. Now verse 47. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was proceeding with him, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So here's your blank number three, the betrayal. Now verse 54, next paragraph. And having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. Ready? Number four, arrested and taken to the high priest's house. This is Caiaphas' house. Now verse 60. Verse 60, but Peter said, here we go, man, I do not know what you are talking about, and immediately, while he was still speaking, a cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. Here's your blank. Number five, the denial. (coughs) Verse 63, the next paragraph. And the men were holding Jesus in custody, and they were mocking him and beating him. So, number six, this is the mockery. Now, verse 66. And when it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber. Ready? Number seven, this is daybreak, right? This has all happened the night of the Last Supper. Remember, we began with the Last Supper in this whole series, right? So, um, it's daybreak and the council. There's your blanks there in number seven. Now, chapter 23, verse one. Then the whole body of them, meaning uh, everyone at the Sanhedrin, the council, arose and brought him before Pilate. Number eight, here's the blank, the trial before Pilate. Verse eight, next paragraph. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus for he wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. Number nine, here's your blank question by Herod. Now verse 24, verse 24. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. Number ten here is the sentencing. Verse now, verse thirty-three, a new paragraph. And when they came to the place called the Skull or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. So number eleven, here's your blank. It's the crucifixion. Now verse forty-four, verse forty-four, next paragraph. And it was now about the sixth hour, so that's about noon. Remember, at this time of year, 6a approximately is when the sun comes up. 6 p.m. is approximately when the sun goes down Um, at the time of Easter, uh, at the time of Passover. And so notice, it's the sixth hour, which is noon, right? So it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, from noon until 3 p.m., right? Okay, write this in. Number 12, it's the afternoon, now, verse 46, verse 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hand I com- hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Number 13, here's your blank. Jesus dies. Look at verse 53 with me. Verse 53. And he took it down and wrapped it with a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had Ever lain, ready. Verse fourteen. Jesus' body is in the grave. There's your blank. So how do we know that it's Thursday afternoon and not Friday? Notice two things. One, everyone agrees that Thursday night was the Passover feast. Remember, the feast of Passover, the feast of unleavened bread was Thursday night. Everyone agrees with that, and Number two, when was the preparation day? By all accounts, the preparation day were Wednesday evening all the way till Thursday evening. That's when you prepare. You spend the 24 hours preparing for the Feast of Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So I want you to just let that soak in. And now watch this. We've made it. All the way to the end of Luke 23. And look what we've processed through. Look at your notes. Right? We started last night with the Last Supper. Back in Luke 22. And we've read through all of the events leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus' death, and his body being placed in the grave in chapter 23, verse 53. And now remember that the preparation day was Wednesday night at sundown through Thursday at sundown. Right? You've got that. The preparation day was Wednesday evening through Thursday evening. Now look with me at verse 53 in Luke 23. Verse 53. And he took it down. This is Joseph of Arimathea talking about Jesus' body. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. You ready for this? Bingo. Verse 54. And it was... The Preparation Day and the Sabbath was about to begin. So look at this chronological fact. It's in your your notes. Write it in. It's still the Preparation Day, Thursday afternoon, preparing for the Thursday night Passover, right? It's still the Preparation Day, Thursday afternoon, and Jesus is already in the grave. Passage number two. Let's look at the John account. Let's go back to John chapter 13. In the, in the book of John, the Last Supper is in chapter 13. So let's start with the first two verses of John chapter 13. Number, uh, verse one. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, that he should depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end, verse 2, and during supper, so here we are at the Last Supper. During supper, the devil, having already put into the the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, okay? Here's the Last Supper. Now turn to chapter 18, five chapters later. Chapter 18, verse 1, chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of Kidron, headed over toward Gethsemane, right? Where there was a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples. So back in chapter 13 was the Last Supper. Now 18.1 is Gethsemane. Now look at 18 verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officer of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So here's the arrest. Now, chapter 19, verse 15. Chapter 19, verse 15. They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Verse 16. So he then delivered him to them to be crucified. Right. So here's the trial and the sentencing. Now look at verse 30 in chapter 19, verse 30. In chapter 19, when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus is dead, right? Now look at this. It's just as clear as can be. The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation, so that the body should not remain on the Cross on the Sabbath, look at this parenthetical statement. For that Sabbath was a high day. Ask Pilate that his legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Look at this. The Jews, because it was the day of preparation, it's still Thursday afternoon, and Jesus is already in the grave. It's still the day of preparation. Well, of course it is, because that's when the Passover lamb had to die on the day of preparation in the afternoon. And they are what? They're saying they need to get him into the grave so they don't desecrate the high Sabbath, Thursday, when the high Sabbath of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. So here's your blank. The scripture is absolutely explicit. Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation when the high Sabbath of Passover was about to begin. Well, of course he was, because Jesus is the Passover lamb. He had to fulfill every prophecy. He had to be sacrificed at the same time when all of the other uh, uh, lambs, according to the law of Moses, were being sacrificed. Now, passage number three. Remember that in the book of John, the Last Supper occurs in chapter 13. We just went through that, right? And Gethsemane happens in chapter 18. Chapter 18 then gives the account of the betrayal and the arrest and the rest of the events of the night before the crucifixion, right? So now let's pick up the passage at daybreak, the morning after the Last Supper. Go back to chapter 18 of John, chapter 18 of John, verse 27. John 18, 27. Peter therefore denied it again and immediately a cock crowed. So here's the denial, right? Now remember, the Last Supper was last night, all the way back in chapter 13, right? Now look at verse 28. They led Jesus, therefore, from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium. By the way, that was the the Roman seat of government, right? So they couldn't go in there. Why? In order that they might not be defiled, but might eat The Passover. Oh my, it's just so clear. Two key points. Key point number one. The Last Supper is over. It was back in chapter 13 last night. But Caiaphas, the high priest, is meticulously ensuring that they remain undefiled. Key point number two. Here's your blanks. The reason they're remaining undefiled is so they can still eat the Passover feast. It couldn't be any more clear. If anyone knew when the Passover feast was supposed to be eaten, it was the Jewish high priest. He was the one who every year set the dates. And there we are, five chapters after the Last Supper, and the Passover feast hasn't happened yet. Clearly, the Last Supper happened the night before the Passover feast. And passage number four, and then we're gonna apply. Tonight, there's so much content We need application, right, for a rest and a reprieve. Okay, amazingly, the final proof comes from the very betrayer himself. Let's go back to John chapter 13, which now you know really well is the Last Supper in the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, right? Here we are. Now before the Feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And during supper, so here's the Last Supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Now, here they are at the Last Supper, and look at verse 26. This is remarkable. Verse 26. Jesus therefore answered that that is the one of whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him, He's actually showing who's going to betray him, right? So when he had dipped, he, Jesus, had dipped the morsel. He took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27, and after the morsel, Satan then entered into him, Judas. Jesus, therefore, said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, this is really, really interesting. Watch what happens now. Verse 28, Now, no one who was reclining at the table knew what the purpose it is that Jesus had said this to Judas. They don't have a clue why he said, what you do, do quickly. Verse 29, for some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for, ready for this, the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30, And so, after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. When is it? Wednesday night. I want us to think this through now. They're at the Last Supper. The disciples think Jesus is sending Judas out to buy things for the Passover feast. Now, if this meal, the Last Supper, was being eaten at the same time as the Passover feast, that has... Two insurmountable problems. Here they are. Here's your blanks. Number one, they were guilty, right? If this fa- Passover feast is happening at the same time as the Last Supper here, they were guilty of being un- not being prepared for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a most heinous crime in the religious order of the day. Imagine that they're eating the Passover, and they think Jesus is saying, hey, Judas, you got to go get the stuff for the Passover can't happen, right? Not going to happen. They would have been unprepared for Passover. And number two, it would never have crossed the disciples mind that Jesus was sending Judas out to buy something for the feast, during the feast, since no shops or markets would be open on the high Sabbath. Got that? If the Last Supper is Monday, Thursday at the same time as the Passover, then there's, they, they never would have thought Jesus is sending him out to get stuff for Passover because all the shops by law would have been closed. They could not buy on a high Sabbath. That was a, that was, that was, you could have been stoned for that. So because of this, think about this. Judas provided one of the key pieces of evidence that proved Jesus met the Passover lamb prophecies and that he led his last supper, had his last supper on Wednesday night and that he was crucified on Thursday afternoon at the same time as all of the other Passover lambs were being slain. So what does this amazing passage reveal? You ready for this? Write it in. Judas, the betrayer, Judas, the betrayer, actually helped to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. The very fact that he's they're thinking he's going to go out and get stuff for Passover means the Passover has to be tomorrow night because otherwise he couldn't be going out to get stuff for Passover. And this leads to our application. All right, here we go. Application. Here's your blanks. When it looks like the enemy is winning, he is not. Think about this Judas last supper scenario. Far from being an unusual situation where Satan gets caught off guard, it's actually classic for the prince of darkness. In fact, the ultimate expression of this happens at the crucifixion, right? Clearly, the death of God's son was Satan's greatest triumph. Well, at least that's what he thought. Let me give you a key concept. Write it in. Here's the blank. In absolute self-delusion... The enemy thought that he had won his greatest victory at the very moment, there's your blank, at the very moment that God was saving the world. When will the enemy ever learn? The God of the ages uses even Satan as a pawn in his almighty hand. When the enemy is doing his best to destroy God's plans, our God is in absolute control. And now let's apply that to this day. The fact that when Satan was doing his greatest harm, he thought he was ruining the kingdom of God when he sent Jesus to his death. The reality is he was being used by God to save the world. So perhaps some of you look around at our culture today and you think that the enemy is winning. Listen, church, he is not. Our God is right on time. He hasn't been knocked off of his throne. His plans haven't been ruined. He's not wringing his hands up in heaven saying, oh no, what am I going to do about this? He hasn't been tripped up by those who've joined the enemy's forces. He's not even messed up when a betrayer makes it right into our midst and is trying to ruin everything. God, on the contrary, isn't bothered by Judas. Judas is helping him save his world. So here's what the passion of Jesus teaches us. He was willing to wait on the Father's plan. He was willing to go the way of the cross if that's what the Father wanted. He never lost sight of the fact that Pilate, listen church, Pilate wasn't in control and Caiaphas wasn't in control and Herod wasn't in control and Caesar wasn't in control and Judas wasn't in control. In fact, not even Lucifer himself was in control. Listen today, the powers of this world are not in control. The courts, the government, they are not in control. And while Satan was using Judas' betrayal to set up what he thought was his ultimate victory, all the while, our God was actually using him to prove that Jesus fulfilled the messianic prophecies and that he is the savior of the world. But now let's step back and apply this personally. You see, let me give a little personal testimony here. Here's my problem. I don't want to go through Gethsemane. I don't want to go to Golgotha. I don't want to go to Calvary. I don't want to pick up my cross to follow him. You see, I want the shortcut. I want the pain gone now. I want the suffering over today. I want the enemy taken out immediately. But Jesus was willing to take every step on the journey that his father had prepared him for. Why? Why was Jesus willing to trust his father at the very point of betrayal and suffering and even death? Why was Jesus willing to trust his father? There are at least two reasons. Here's reason number one. Write it in. Here's your blanks. Because Jesus could see past the day of the cross, listen church, Jesus could see past the day of the cross to the day of victory. And reason number two, he was willing to submit to God's plan. Jesus was willing to submit to God's plan even when the Father didn't answer his question of why. Gethsemane, Father, why have you forsaken me, the cross. Why? He was willing to submit to God's plan even when the Father didn't answer his question of why. Now I want us to look at what Jesus gained by obeying the Father, even to the point of death. Jesus' willingness to bear the day of the cross has now paved the way for a day that's coming. Listen, because he obeyed at his first coming, and was willing to go the way of the cross so that the Father could resurrect him to great and awesome power. Because he did that, it paved the way for a day that's coming, and it's called the day of the Lord. It's yet future. It hasn't happened yet. The scripture has a lot to say about the day of the Lord, but if you boil it all down to a single phrase, I think the best summary of the day of the Lord is this. You ready? Write in your blanks. Here it is. There's a day coming when everything will be set right. Listen, there is, through the eyes of faith, through the other side of the cross, with the power of the resurrection, there's a day coming when everything will be set right. Ezekiel proclaimed the enormity of what will happen to the world on the day of the Lord. So just sit back for a moment. You can go back and read it later, but right now, just listen You might even want to close your eyes and listen, thus says the Lord, here comes the day in my zeal and my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel and the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the weeping things that creep on the earth and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him, the Antichrist, right? The most powerful man in the world. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. I will magnify myself. I will sanctify myself and I will make myself known in the sight of all the nations and they will know that I am the Lord. What an amazing promise. In that day, listen, righteousness and justice will reign. The humble will be exalted. The haughty will be cast down and the powers will be shaken. Evil will be conquered. The innocent will be victorious. The meek will be raised up and the righteous will be vindicated. In the day of the Lord, That day, the oppressors will be overthrown, and those who've made the weak suffer will be cast down from their places of authority. Those who've perpetrated suffering on others will be brought low. The despots will be thrown down, and those who have no voice will be heard. The abused will be comforted. The hurting... Will be healed, the downtrodden will be raised up, those who have oppressed the weak will be defeated, and all injustice will be conquered by our great King. Do you know what this means? For those of us who truly love the Lord, for those who truly belong to Him, no matter what happens, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult the path, no matter how severe the trials, no matter how painful the suffering, here's what God has promised. Listen, church. Pain won't have the final word. Betrayal won't have the final word. The enemy won't have the final word. Tribulation won't have the final word. Suffering won't have the final word. Injustice won't have the final word. And darkness will not have the final word. No, our majestic, awesome, eternal, omnipotent, almighty King will have the final word. But here's the thing. Are you ready for this? It's one of the greatest of all mysteries. Until that great day of the Lord that we just heard from with great power from Ezekiel 38, until that great day of the Lord, until that day, God's plan is us. (laughs) Somehow he has set it up that he actually needs us. Now I have absolutely no clue why God has made things this way. He could have come back a long time ago and already have set everything right. But for some reason, our God is still waiting. So until then, Until the last day, He's given us the privilege of helping Him to set a whole bunch of things right in our day, in our life, in our home, in our community, at our job. To be sure, there will be a last day. Ezekiel 38 will be fulfilled, just like we've seen the prophecies of the Passover lamb and Jonah fulfilled. That's what the big series that we're in is all about, right? The second coming series, which is the big Uber series that we're in, right? But if today isn't that day, then we have a job. We have a calling. We have a mission. We have a responsibility. Jesus was willing to see past the day of the cross, past the day of pain, past the day of suffering, and to trust his father, and to believe that there was a day Coming when there would be absolute victory by the glory and the power of his Father. So let me end tonight with some questions. Since we're still carrying the cross and he hasn't yet brought the final victory, what are you doing with the time that God has given you? Since God hasn't yet chosen for the final day to come. What are you doing with today, today, tonight? Have you given up? Have you gone to sleep? While we're waiting for that day, that great day of the Lord, what are we doing to bring in the kingdom in this place, in our home, in our workplace, in our relationships, our church, our community, our nation, and in our world? What are you doing to obey his word today? What are you doing to bring others to Christ today? While you're waiting for that incredible coming day of the Lord, what are you doing on this day? Is your plan directed completely by God's plan? Are your decisions driven completely by God's word? Are your choices consumed by a desperate desire to please our God and our Savior Jesus Christ alone? If not, then it's time for you to allow the blazing fire of the Holy Spirit to cleanse you and to empower you so that you're you're useful to the Master until the final day or until He takes you home. Let's pray. Oh God, Your word convicts us. Jesus, how desperately he must have wanted to go the easy route. Jesus didn't need to die for himself. He needed to die for us. And oh Lord, we who have received that much grace, a Christ who is willing to descend into Hades for us, because we have that kind of a savior with that kind of mercy and grace. Oh Lord, may we have a deep sense of awe so that now we're always looking around and instead of looking inward, and instead of looking at what bothers me and what matters for me and what I want and what I need, Lord Jesus, may we in Gethsemane and on the cross with you say, Father, even though I don't know why, and you haven't answered why, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Lord, I suspect there will be those who are listening who will realize right now that the Holy Spirit is tugging at their heart because they're a believer, they've been forgiven of their sin, but what they realize is there's still plenty of their own selfishness in their own life And it's time to be about your purposes because you paid an infinite price for our grace. You are so good. Save us through and through, Lord, so that your fire and wind, just like at Pentecost, transforms us so utterly that the world stands back in awe and sees Jesus living in their midst. Do that in us, Lord. That's what we need. We love you. Amen. Now, in the next several weeks, we're going to deal with several more questions. As you know, I've left a big one unresolved, right? First, what was the point of Jesus calling the Last Supper, the Passover, when the Last Supper was the night before the Passover? Remember again, the Passover feast was on Thursday night. The day of preparation started 24 hours before, sundown on Wednesday. They had the last supper. It was so clearly before the Passover, the next night, that even they even thought Judas was going to get stuff for the Passover. And all of this. But why did Jesus keep calling Wednesday night the last supper? Why did he keep calling it Passover? Number two. Why has the Good Friday tradition been wrong for nearly 1,800 years? And number three, why would God allow a stumbling block to remain for so long when it actually brings Jesus' messianic claims into question if he was crucified on Friday afternoon? He doesn't even make it to 48 hours in the grave if he was crucified on Friday afternoon. So together, in the next few weeks, We'll find the answers to these questions amazing, and they will be convicting, and they will even be life-changing. See you next Thursday night. The Lord be with you.